All right. If you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and find verse 31. Matthew 5, 31. So we are studying the Sermon on the Mount and... Um, it wasn't my plan to break this text up into two sermons, but I needed to in order to cover it well, and so the timing didn't work out very well. I covered part one three Sundays ago, so I'm going to try to do a quick summary of what we covered in part one. However, I will say this, I can't cover it in a summary as well and in as detailed uh, fashion as I did in the sermon, so... Um, if uh, you really want to get into the details, um, you can go back. That's online, and you can go back and listen to that. All right, so last time, when we were covering our text, we discussed how Jesus is talking about divorce in this particular text, but we, uh, I, I needed to cover marriage before we could really understand divorce and his and, and his feelings toward divorce. And so um, let me sum up what we talked about in God's design for marriage. And there were three parts that we talked about. We talked about one, that God designed marriage to be a one flesh union. He designed that one flesh union so that we would be able to experience the most intimate of relationships and the purpose in allowing us to experience those intimate of earthly relationships was so that we could understand the depth of intimacy that God wants with us. Now, God's purpose in everything that he does is always so that we can know him more. So we understand from his design of marriage and the one flesh union is that through the marriage relationship, we can know God more. So that was the first point. Second point, God intended marriage to be a harmonious structure of headship and submission. The Apostle Paul describes marriage as a structure where husband has the role of the spiritual leader and wife is called to submit to that leadership. And we discussed that Paul's grounds for understanding this is uh, grounded in the creation account. He goes back to the creation account, which was before sin had entered the world, before sin had corrupted Adam and Eve's uh, relationship, before sin began to corrupt our thinking and cloud our thinking so that we can't see things as well and clearly as God wants us to. And so Paul goes back to that, and he says, back at that time, there was a structure where Adam was called to be the spiritual leader and Eve was called to the role of submitting to that leadership. But the result of sin brought in um, evil desires. And God, and we talked last week about how God said to Eve, one of the consequences was going to be, you are going to desire to rule your husband, but he is going to rule over you. And so what we have in history, history is full of strained marriages. It's full of women who don't like the role they've been given, and it's full of men who are chauvinistic toward women and sometimes domineering toward their wives. And the reason for that is sin. That's a result of the fall. God says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to desire this to rule over him. He's going to rule over you. And there is tension often in marriages because of sin. It's the consequence of the fall in the garden. But 
we talked about the Genesis account and how God tells us in the Genesis account that he created Adam and Eve equally. They were equally loved, equally valued. They were equal in image bearing. They were equal in glory reflecting. And they were both given the leadership task of co-ruling over the earth together. But as Paul is describing marriage and he goes back to the creation account, what we see is that that equality that they have and that co-ruling existing that way, that came within a structure of loving leadership for the husband and willful submission to that leadership for the wife. And not only did that work and they were happy, but it also was a picture for us. And marriage is a picture for us of the Trinity, where you have three equal persons, but they submit to a hierarchy of authority. And remember, you might remember I had on the screen that little thing with the loops and the spirit submits to the son, the son submits to the father. They're all equally God, fully God, and yet they willingly submit to a structure of authority. Third point, God intended marriage to be until death do us part. And so we talked about how God intended marriage to be a lifelong covenant that only comes to an end when one of the persons dies. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, which we're going to talk about Matthew 19 some today, Jesus said in Matthew 19 that what God has joined together, let no one separate. And we discussed how that word separate, that we translate separate, literally means divorce. So it could be read, what God has joined together, let no one divorce. God designed the one flesh union to literally and truly unite people to the point of where if we try to separate that union, there's always damage that results from that. And he did it that way because marriage is so sacred to him. And therefore, in Malachi chapter 2, God says, I hate divorce. Now, today, as we look at our text and we discuss what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 31 and 32, we're going to look at Matthew 19. We're going to look at a place in Deuteronomy. What he says concerning divorce, we're going to expand on that last point on God's view of divorce and what he says are the consequences of it. So let's look at our text. If you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? We're reading from Matthew 5, 31 and 32. So this is Jesus speaking. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. God, as we look at this text, and it's a heavy topic, I just pray for wisdom for me as I deliver this, and for us as a body of believers, so that we know how to help people who might be struggling in this area. We know the wisdom to offer them. Um, And if nothing else, that we just come away with a better understanding of your view on divorce and marriage. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
All right. Sorry, um, that was kind of a long intro, but it w I think it was necessary. And I have to admit, this is probably the only time in my entire life that I've broken two verses of Scripture into two full messages. So, all right, so the first thing we're going to look at in your notes, the first point is what the rabbis taught. Now, Jesus says in the text, in verse 31, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. And we've seen this, this is the third time now, there are going to be three more before we get out of chapter 5, where Jesus says things like, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, or you have heard that it was said, and in our text he says it has been said. And so when he says that, he's not necessarily referring to the Old Testament law, he's referring to the teaching of the rabbis. Because there are times when, in chapter 5, where he will say, you've heard that it was said, and that thing that they'd been taught was nowhere in the Old Testament law. And so he's referring to what they've been taught by, their, by the rabbis, uh, what the Pharisees hold to, and the teachers of the law. And so he says to them, it's been said that anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. So I think we need to flip, hold your place in Matthew 5, uh, but we need to flip to Matthew 19. Because Matthew 19, Jesus deals with this as he's having a discussion with the Pharisees, and we get a better understanding of what it was that they believed and what they taught. So if you turn to Matthew 19, we're going to start in verse 3 to better understand what they were teaching. And it says this, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, so this is the Pharisees, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So, he ends this with the same teaching that he's giving in the Sermon on the Mount. So here's, here's what we have. According to verse 3 of Matthew 19, the Pharisees and the rabbis that were teaching believed that you could divorce your wife for any and every reason. So when Jesus corrected them, and explained that God has joined them together into one flesh union, and that and therefore no one should separate that union, the Pharisees then reveal in verse 7 how they've misinterpreted Moses. Verse 7 says, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So my question is, why would they think that that was a command? Why, why would they think that Moses has, has told them that you need to divorce your wife in certain circumstances and get rid of her. Hold your place in Matthew 19. Flip with me to Deuteronomy 24. 
Deuteronomy 24 is the text that the Pharisees and the rabbis have misinterpreted from Moses. So let's see what they've done. We're going to look at verses 1 to 4. Deuteronomy 24, 1 to 4. Before, don't pull it up on the screen yet. Um, I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to pull it up on the screen, and I'm going to show you something. Deuteronomy 24, 1 to 4 says this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies... Then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. All right, so that's the text that they misinterpret. And the problem with the teaching of the rabbis is that they missed, the, they missed the mark on what Moses is saying here. And the problem that we have today is that we have interpretations that have carried over their misinterpretation. And so I'm going to put up here, and this, this is not me bashing the King James. I, I love the King James, and the King James is great, but the King James has a spot where they've captured what the, Phar- or what the Pharisees and the rabbis were doing, and has confused it some, and I'll, I'll show you why. Here's the King James Version. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it comes to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, see this word, then? Then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it, to her hand, and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. In the original Hebrew, that word is not there. The word then does not appear until verse 4 in the original Hebrew. So rather than saying, if he finds something unpleasing about her, then he should do this, he should divorce her and send her away, it's more a series of ifs. If this happens, and if this happens, and if this happens, and she marries another man, and if he doesn't find favor with her, and he gives her a divorce and sends her away, then... Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled, for that's an abomination before the Lord. Now, here's why I point that out. Because they misinterpreted Moses because they put a then in there, which is not in the original Hebrew. And when read like that, it sounds like I can come up with anything that I don't like about my wife and I can send her away. And so that was happening. That was a problem in the culture. It's not just a thing that we experience today. It was happening in first century Judaism as well. It was um, anything that you didn't like. You just sent your wife away. And so if you saw a woman you thought was more attractive, here you go, get out of my house. Or if you didn't like her cooking, here you go, get out of my house. And it was happening like it is today in America. It was happening left and right. Divorces were a major problem. So Jesus corrects their misinterpretation. 
he raised the standard of their thinking. He comes down, actually, I think quite hard here. It explains to them that there's only one reason that legitimizes divorce in God's sight, and that reason is marital unfaithfulness. One reason. As opposed to the culture that had been taught and had bought into this idea that I can come up with anything I want to get a different wife. One reason that legitimizes divorce, and that's marital unfaithfulness. Now, when Jesus said this, this would have angered any Pharisees that might have been listening to him as he's preaching. And it would have been shocking to the others because they'd always been taught that Moses gave in the law this permission to divorce your wife for any and every, every reason. And just to help you understand how much this had permeated the thinking of the people in first century Judaism... If you're, you still, do you still have your finger in Matthew 19? Flip back to Matthew 19, where they've encountered Jesus. They've said, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any and every reason? Jesus says, haven't you read? They become one flesh. What God has joined together, don't let anyone separate. And they say, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, he permitted you. So first of all, he corrects them. He says he did not command, he allowed it. And the only reason he allowed it was because your hearts were hard. But I want you to look then, after he says this, and he says, if anyone divorces his wife, uh, he commits adultery. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Right after that, verse 10, his disciples say to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. So the disciples, are be, their thinking is being challenged as well. And they say, well, if, if I can't just get rid of my wife for any and every reason that I want to, I'm better off just not getting married. That's how much it had permeated the thinking of the people of the day. And so that's what the rabbis had been teaching, and that's what Jesus has to correct here in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, it has been said, but I tell you. So now let's look at point number two and look at what Moses was teaching, what Moses taught, because they misunderstood. So Jesus' explanation actually helps us to understand what Moses is saying. What Moses said in Deuteronomy 24 was actually not focused on divorce at all. Rather, the purpose of Moses' command is to prevent one sin from breeding more detestable sin. So, if you remember, I said it's an if, 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 then pattern, which is typical. I mean, that's a, that's a literary tool that people use when they're writing or speaking. He said, if all of these things happen then the first husband is not allowed to remarry his wife after she's been with another man. And so what Moses is saying is not real divorce. There is the word divorce is in there twice in his explanation, but divorce is not the central point of what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy 24. The central point was after the then, if all these things happen, then here's how you prevent 
yourself from getting into a situation where you're doing something detestable in God's sight. And so he's trying to prevent one sin from breeding more detestable sin. And that's what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 5. That's what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter uh, 19 as well. So in our text, in the Sermon on the Mount, and in 19, he says the only legitimate reason in God's eyes for divorce is because of marital unfaithfulness. And he says in our text, if anyone divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, he causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So what is marital unfaithfulness? If that's the one legitimate reason God will allow a divorce, what is it? And honestly, like, so I'm reading out of the NIV. That's actually not a, I don't think, a great, a great translation of the word. Uh, the word, the Greek word is porneia. If anyone divorces his wife for anything other than porneia, and porneia, mean, it literally means sexual sin. And the reason why I don't think marital unfaithfulness, it's not that marital unfaithfulness is necessarily a bad translation, except that in 21st century American, the 21st century American mindset, we define the word unfaithfulness or the word faithfulness very loosely. And so I think it needs to be something that's more of a literal translation. Um, and we see in the King James, they translate it fornication. That's a better translation. The New American Standard and the New Revised Standard translates it unchastity. That's a better translation um, because it literally means sexual sin. And it encompasses a wide variety of sins. But within the context of the marriage relationship, it constitutes adultery. It's any sexual activity that deviates from God's original design before sin corrupted our thinking. And in marriage, it is adultery. So that's what Moses taught. That's what Jesus taught. And here's what we learned from Jesus. Two things. According to Jesus, the only legitimate reason in God's eyes for a divorce is adultery. You can't divorce your wife or your husband because they annoy you. And that's a good thing because if you could, my wife would have left me a long time ago. You can't divorce someone because they annoy you. You can't divorce someone because you're tired of them. You can't divorce someone because your marriage has lost the spark it once had. Those are illegitimate reasons in God's eyes. Those are just a few examples of the many things that we see happen in our culture today, right? Like, I, some of the reasons for divorce, um, I, I said last week, I think, we have, I think we have the mindset that marriage and divorce is a game. And you can get in, a, get in and out of it whenever you want. So that's the first thing. The only legitimate reason in God's eyes is for, for divorce is adultery. The second thing we learn from Jesus here is that divorce for reasons other than adultery causes adultery. According to verse 32 of our text in Matthew 5, but also according to what Jesus says in Matthew 19, if a couple divorces for any reason other than adultery or sexual sin, what happens is that the sin of divorce breeds the detestable sin of adultery for both husband and wife and the spouses that they will marry in the future. And let me just say, the, the New Testament, 
Scripture assumes remarriage. It was, it was the common practice. If, if a wife, if a husband divorced his wife, a wife needed to get married so that her needs were met. Um, it was not, we, we don't have the same culture today where, where women had the opportunities that men did. We don't have the same culture today where uh, much of our workforce is, is, you know, brains as opposed to brute strength. And so scripture assumes, because the culture was like this, assumes remarriage. And so you divorce someone, and Jesus says, if it's not for adultery, then you commit adultery, she commits adultery, you you cause her to commit adultery, and anybody who marries in the future. So here's what we have. Chapter 5, he states that a man who divorces his wife for an illegitimate reason causes causes her to commit adultery, and anyone else that she will marry in the future as well. He actually bears the responsibility for her and the adultery that he has caused to come into her life and the adultery that will result in the the new husband's life as they get married in what, in God's sight, is not really legitimate. But in Matthew 19, he states even clearer that the husband commits adultery if he divorces his wife for an illegitimate reason. So Moses in Deuteronomy 24 and Jesus in Matthew 5 and 19, they're both trying to prevent sin compounded upon sin and a sin that affects everyone who's involved. And that's what the Pharisees missed in terms of their interpretation. And so the third point is the fact that God hates divorce. God hates divorce. That is a strong word, but those are God's words in Malachi 2. I hate divorce. The Pharisees and the rabbis have completely misunderstood not just what Moses said, but they've completely misunderstood God's heart on marriage, why it is so important and so sacred to him, and they misunderstood God's hatred of divorce. And I think because our culture is one that seems to misunderstand this and because it is so important to God, I think we need to, we need to have a good grasp on this. We see in the Pharisees and the rabbis, we see in their question in Matthew 19 how they've misunderstood God's heart and on marriage and his hatred of divorce when they say, why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? In first century Judea, as in America today, the marriage covenant that God holds so sacred is cheapened by flippant decisions to separate what God has joined together. So Jesus does what Paul does later Paul may have learned this technique from Jesus. Jesus takes them back to Genesis 1.27 and back to Genesis 2.24, the origin of God's design for marriage before the corrupting of relationships and our minds and all that, the corruption that comes from sin. And he tells them. So they misunderstood and they said, why did he command it? Why? Why is it then commanded by Moses? And Jesus says, it was not that way from the beginning. 
he tells them that Moses did not command it because it was not that way from the beginning. But what Moses did was he allowed it. And the only reason he allowed it was because your hearts were hard toward God. But divorce was not a part of the equation when God designed marriage. The fact is that according to God, divorce never was and still is not intended to be a solution to marital conflict. Divorce is not designed to be a solution for marital conflict. And I say that because there isn't a single place in all of Scripture where God says that a couple should divorce. Now, we w- I'm going to touch on in just a minute that he does allow it. There are actually, you know, after the Apostle Paul writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are two reasons now that God gives us that we can. But, I, but what I want you to see is that God never says anywhere in Scripture, you should do this, which was the misinterpretation of the Pharisees. They thought Moses said, you should do this, and God never, in all of the places where he addresses marriage and divorce, he never says, this is the solution. In fact, the argument could be made that God's foremost example of how we should respond, even in cases of adultery, is Hosea. God commanded Hosea to take an an adulteress for a wife. And Hosea was supposed to love her and lovingly bring her back to himself even after she had become a prostitute. So I, I say all of this just to say divorce was not the design in the beginning. And it's not God's solution anywhere in Scripture. And here's why that is not God's design because marriage is a physical image of a spiritual relationship i think that's supposed to be underlined marriage is a physical image of a spiritual relationship in ephesians 5 paul describes the marriage relationship and he describes many things about the way husbands and wives interact And he tells us in Ephesians 5 that it is a reflection, that marriage relationship is a reflection of Christ's relationship as husband to his bride, the church. In verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, after he's been describing husband and wife and their relationship, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Now, if marriage is a tangible picture of Christ's relationship to the church, then we have to ask ourselves, did Christ ever, or will Christ ever, divorce himself from his church? Did Christ ever, or will Christ ever, divorce himself from his church? And the answer is no. He never will. He never did. He never will. He is the head of the church. The church is his bride, and he is preparing her to bring her into an eternal reward. And so neither does God want our marriages to end in divorce. I want to read a quote from John MacArthur because I think he really just sums this up well and makes this clear. He says, 
Marriage is a symbol of the relation between Christ and his church. Marriage is not an end in itself. Marriage is not designed primarily for your happiness. It's not designed primarily for my happiness. Marriage was designed primarily to be an illustration on a human level of a divine relationship. And when you lose that sense of priority in marriage, and you make marriage a mundane thing that belongs only in the carnal world of the expression of personal preference, you have denuded marriage of its divine priority. So he says, it's, it's primarily to help us understand the relationship between the divine and the human, between God and mankind. And so he says, if you lose that sense of priority in marriage and it turns into something that's just part of this carnal world, part of your flesh, it's just, this is what I prefer or I desire, then you have stripped marriage of its divine priority. Marriage is so much more than what we see and understand on this earth. It shows us God's relationship with mankind, and Christ has never and he will never divorce himself from his church. All right, let me wrap up by saying something, though, here. As the American culture has made marriage and divorce a game, I'm not saying every person who's been divorced has treated it this way, but our culture in general treats it this way. But because of that, let me just say it's a good thing, and this is something that if you're, if, if you're ever talking with somebody who is, who's been through this, something that you need to remind them, it is a good thing that divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Um, I, the first time I ever taught on this, someone came up to me like a week later, someone who had been divorced, and asked me some questions, and we talked about it a little bit more, and and I began to sense from her that she understood me to say that, like, this is the worst thing that you could have ever done. And because she, she was in a situation where um, there was... It wasn't adultery, but there was not there was unhealthy stuff going on, and so I sensed that she had m- misunderstood that I like that I w- she she thought I was saying like this is like the worst thing, and I finally said to her, I said, "Listen, there is an unforgivable sin, but it's not divorce. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit." And so, God has given us He's given us two justifiable reasons in his sight for divorce. Jesus talks about adultery, and then later on in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen, Paul, speaking by the Holy Spirit, says if an unbelieving spouse wants to end that marriage, then the believing spouse is not bound to that. That, that, belie- that believing spouse, after the divorce, can remarry and not be in any kind of situation where, as Jesus says, there's adultery taking place. So Paul, the Holy Spirit leads Paul to tell us that there is, there's that situation as well. What God is saying is that, yes, there are, there are some exceptions here that I will allow. But what we need to understand is 
that shouldn't be the norm. And for anyone, if you're counseling anybody who's been through this, or you're in a situation where you're trying to help somebody, they need to understand it's not the unforgivable sin. There is grace that is offered just as there is grace for any other sin with the exception of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The idea is just that this is so sacred. Marriage is so sacred to God, and God does not want people to enter into it and get out of it in some kind of flippant manner. So what I hope we've gathered in the last two messages is how important it is to God. He doesn't take it lightly. He doesn't take marriage lightly. He doesn't take divorce lightly. The marriage covenant is so much higher and deeper and wider than what we can even comprehend. Let's pray. God, we thank you that First of all, that there is forgiveness for any sin that we commit against you, um, with the exception of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful that divorce is not the unforgivable sin. I'm thankful that you permit, even though your word never offers it as a solution, but you do permit situations where it is okay in your sight to um, to divorce when when adultery has which is such a violent attack on the marriage covenant that is so sacred to you or in a situation where an unbelieving spouse wants out that you allow that But even with those things, and and those things are good for us to be able to counsel people through, but even with those things, what we need to understand is how important marriage is to you. We need to understand that marriage is so sacred and so important to you that, that you have laid down really strict guidelines in terms of how that comes to an end. And those guidelines are strict because... The relationship is so united and because the relationship is damaged so badly if it is separated and because the relationship more than anything else is a picture to the world of of a structure within the trinity of of leadership and authority and submission to that it's a picture of christ and his church that paul tells us Christ as the head and husband and his church as the bride who submits to him. And you don't want our marriages to be a picture that indicates that Christ would ever separate from his, from his bride because that will never happen. And so more than anything, we need to understand how our marriages are a reflection to the world of your love and your headship and authority in the church and how nothing will separate us from his love. So, give us wisdom 
in our relationships. Give us wisdom as we help people who are struggling in this area. Give us an understanding of your word and wisdom from your word to be able to make it apply to life situations so that this covenant that you have given us as a gift is upheld and honored in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.